Hi, everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. Coach's Corner is an episode I put up every Saturday, and it usually features another expert, interesting person, thought leader that I interview, talk to, and share with you. And really, the crux of the show is the live coaching episodes that I do that air every Wednesday. Those are the numbered episodes. And if you're new to the show, I highly encourage you to go back and look at those numbered episodes and binge because you'll find that... Sometimes the title of the episode or the issue that I'm talking about, you don't think pertains to you, but then you listen to it and you learn quite a bit. And we're coming up on well over 250 of those episodes. So thank you to all of my very loyal listeners. Thank you to all of you who leave a rating and review. So very grateful. And the guest I'm going to introduce you to now, his name is Corey Allen, and I wanted to have him on the show to talk about meditation. I know so many of you enjoyed my episode with Emily Fletcher of Ziva Meditation, and Corey's another real thought leader in the world of meditation. And he shares a lot about his story, his road to meditation, and how we can make meditation and mindfulness not so elusive. I know that so many of you know you quote unquote should meditate, but don't add it to your daily practice. So I hope this episode inspires you to do so. A little bit more about Corey Allen. He's an author, podcast host, meditation teacher, and audio engineer. He is very passionate about how to live better using principles of mindfulness, neuroscience, and philosophy. We discuss Corey's journey to meditation and how it's an effective tool for adding coherence, awareness, and compassion to life. And coherence is such a great word. It's really about the process of being whole, that all parts of you are in coherence and we're wanting to shift something. For example, our health. In order to be in optimal well-being, we need to be in coherence with our body. So think about what you want to bring coherence to. What do you want to bring into your life to make it feel more whole, feel more complete, not from the perspective that anything's missing, but just from the perspective of, I want to come back into balance with every part of my being. Now you can learn more from Corey through his book, Now is the Way, and his online meditation course called Release Into Now. He is really excellent at teaching people how to meditate with clear and concise methods. Before we dive in, I want to thank our sponsor for this episode, BioClarity. And for those of you who follow me on Instagram, you probably saw that I was in Colorado for a few weeks and it was absolutely so much fun. We had a blast and we were out in nature a lot. And I was very, very happy to have my BioClarity products with me. I love BioClarity for a few reasons. First of all, they are plant-based vegan skincare. I can really trust the ingredients. Second, BioClarity helps keep my skin clean. I was kind of curious how my skin would do after not flying for nearly five months. And my clear skin routine from BioClarity really, really delivered. I just noticed clear skin, a smoother and softer feel, and it's only three steps, which I love because I'm all about simplicity as well. Now we all know vitamin D is important and we wanna protect our skin from getting a little too much sun. So whether you're in direct sunlight or not, UV rays can be a bit damaging. And BioClarity's new sun filter for the face and sun shady for the body are 100% mineral reef safe sunscreens that protect you from harmful UV rays, free radicals, blue light, and environmental pollutants. Their formulas offer so much more than the average sunscreen. They contain the only known UV actives that provide over two times more protection against that nasty free radical damage. And they boost the power of antioxidants by up to 500%, which will help your skin stay youthful and healthy for the long run. Now, what I really love about the clear skin routine that I use is they have Floralux in their products. It gives their products this green tint, so it just feels like I'm feeding vegetables to my face. But what it really is, is it's made from the chlorophyll found in plants and it's a skin superfood. You'll love it. So say hello to Kinder Skincare with BioClarity. As I said, their products are always 100% vegan, free of toxins, powered by plants and dermatologists tested, never formulated with synthetic colors or artificial fragrances, and you get 100% risk-free money back guaranteed. So here's your call to action. Get healthier, more radiant skin today at bioclarity.com. That's B-I-O-C-L-A-R-I-T-Y.com. 
and use the code over it at checkout. Again, 15%. Go to bioclarity.com and use the promo code over it for 15% off at checkout. And now on to my discussion with Corey Allen. Corey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. Oh, I'm, I'm excited. We're neighbors now, pretty yes, much. that's right. <laughs> Another Austinite, uh, born and raised, yeah. And yeah. He, uh, helping me acclimate to the hot, hot summers. You know, I grew up in Dallas, so I should sort of be used to it. But I think, you know, 20 years in California has has given me a weather, um, what would I call it? weather adversity or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's because we have yeah. zero weather there pretty much. <laughs> it's crazy. It's like, you know, how it's like, it's almost like an adaptive system of the, of the human body. Like, you know, whenever that you say, if you were to take like a pig, like a cute little pink pig that you would see in a farm and just put it out in the wild, they grow like really hairy and grow yeah. giant tusks because they're trying to, they're like just naturally adapting to their environment. Wow. That's what, that's what I feel like whenever uh, you know, you, a person lives in Texas and then they move away or, or vice versa. It's like, they go through this adaptability period where you either lose your, your, your heat. I lost them. I lost my tusks. I lost <laughs> <Yeah>. them. <laughs> well, I went to Chicago for college. So I went from super uh, hot to okay. unbearably cold and said enough of this. How do people live like this? And, and moved out to California, but something, something's pulled us back to Austin. So, we're we're happy to to be here and and excited to connect more with our tribe here. So, thank you for being here and for sharing some of your knowledge on the show today. I'm excited to dive into a lot of things with you. The first thing I wanted to dive in with is meditation. Because I, my audience, they are they love personal development and they love going deep and they love understanding. But I hear from a lot of them that meditation's hard. And I put my hand up to that too. You know, I, 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 my version of meditation tends to be sit and think for an hour and have maybe <laughs> like 30 seconds of, <laughs> right. of nothing. Um, <clears throat> and so I, I, let's just start with how you would even define meditation. Because one of the things that you do is you teach it. Yeah, I think that first off, I think it has been really overcomplicated because like any practice, particularly disciplines of the mind, they are, they're intangible, right? So you can't see your progress like you can in the gym, you know, whenever mm -hmm. something, whenever you're dealing with your inner life, it, it's seen the progress and the change and, and even the experience is seen through your own perception, you know, the way that you see the world and the way that you're showing up and the way that you feel in different situations. And because the history of meditation is so long and diverse, it, there's so many different lineage and schools and approaches, and that's all been westernized over the course of you know hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's made it to where there's a lot of you know misnomers and a lot of kind of miscommunication between all the lineages and mm -hmm. what have you. At the end of the day, your know, meditation is just sitting and breathing for a you know, five, 10, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever you can, you can do whatever you're comfortable with, with the, the, the goal of de-stimulating your nervous system, you know, and giving your cultivating this internal space through intentionally breathing and calming down and releasing, you know, the muscular structure of the body, getting in tune with the breath and, and pointing your focus and your attention on your breathing. And just through that simple practice of sitting with the eyes closed and doing nothing else and trying to do nothing else, trying not to overcomplicate it, trying not to make uh, it this it, this big lofty pursuit or put all this pressure on yourself to quote unquote do it right, which is a very, of course, a very Western approach mentally mm -hmm. to everything. Um, and just realize like, okay, I'm a I'm gonna I'm a beginner. I'm gonna sit down. I'm gonna try and do this and not expect anything. And just breathe and focus on your breath and, you know, uh, and then be patient and consistent. And that act of just simply sitting and breathing, it's almost like the body and the mind is prepared and ready to unfold everything for you, wherever you just simply do that. Because then you will see all the things 
that you are kind of anticipating will begin to show up and then work themselves out almost naturally if you just stay consistent with it. And that's one of the most beautiful aspects of meditation is that, you know, I, again, I, I think I've already said it, but just lowering the stakes, low, that's so important mm -hmm. and not, you know, not thinking like, well, I'm going to try it once and I'm going to be a Zen master tomorrow. It's like, you know, it, it's a, it's just like any other good quality, you know, tool of personal development where you shouldn't expect it to be a switch that you just turn on and you're a master, you know, tomorrow. It's mm. consistency over time equals lasting change. That's where real change comes from. And so is true with meditation, you know? And so like you pointed to, uh, there's this thing I call the untended garden, which I think is a really important uh, notion to talk about with people who are looking to meditate for the first time or just kind of putting their feet into it. Mm. You you said that you sit down and you meditate and kind of you, it's like you just think the entire time and you'll catch these glimpses of, you know, no mind or just, or pure presence, you know, or whatever right. you'd like to call it. Um, now that's really common. And also it's, um, it's not a bad thing because during, you're, you're actually succeeding. And this is where it gets counterintuitive for people because, meditation isn't doing meditation is undoing and we're so not used to even thinking in that way of like wait i'm getting somewhere by not doing <laughs> like, i should be i should be doing right now you know i need to be grabbing something and holding something heavy to you know uh, ascertain its value that's that's how we do things you know um but that process of even being aware of the fact that your mind is thinking and you seeing all of those thoughts going, that is a great success. You know, one of the things I put in my book is that the first step to mindfulness, to living mindfully, is realizing that you're living mindlessly, right? And so the hardest part of mindfulness, of meditation, of all that stuff is, is becoming aware of your own thoughts. Mm. Because think about it. You've gone, you know, uh, uh, whoever's listening to this person is 35 years old or something like that. They've gone 35 years without having that sort of above view of the fact and just that, that increase of self-awareness where they're like, wait a second, my mind is just this crazy river of thoughts, right? It's going, yeah. it's going wild. Crazy ocean, it feels like. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a much better metaphor. Yeah, it is the ocean. And so it's like you've gone 35 years or, or however long an entire lifetime without ever seeing that. Well, of course, that teapot's going to have a lot of pressure in it, you know, so people what the the thing that happens most consistently is people try to meditate one time they see that you know quote unquote crazy river or ocean or chaotic ocean of thoughts and they typically think well i just i guess i just am not the meditating type or i can't mm -hmm. do this or i'm not doing it right so i might as well not try but they've had their biggest breakthrough they're ever going to have is by in that moment was by seeing what I call the untended garden, right? So now that you've got the glimpse of all of those thoughts and all of those type of stuff, it's well, sure, the garden's overgrown because you haven't worked in it for 35 years, you know? So now from there forward, it's just a matter of slowly, gently, and you know, with compassion and intention, tending to that garden and pruning it and cleaning it up over time. And then what happens is that through just simple consistency of meditating, you know, five, if you can even do five times a week, that's fantastic. You'll find, you'll see that that garden starts getting cleaner and, and more pruned and there's mm -hmm. more space to move around, more space to think you, mm -hmm. you, you begin responding to life as opposed to just reacting based mm -hmm. upon your past experiences or, or whatever. And, and that's really, uh, I think that's really, I'm sorry, that was a very long explanation, but no, I love uh, it. But that's, that's really, you know, a very valuable thing for people who are just getting into meditation to understand is that that first glimpse is the hardest thing. They, they've, they're achieving the, uh, a great thing there. And then from there on, it's, it's all downhill essentially. Well, and I think it's even important. I've been meditating for 20 years and this is still important for me to remember. And I, even when my mind is wandering off, I know that just by sitting there with my eyes closed and slowing down my breathing, I'm still receiving some benefits. I'm still slowing down my nervous system. I'm building the muscle to become more aware of my thoughts so that, and don't get me wrong, I'm still reactive in life, but I observe it more. 
rather than right. it being runaway train where I'm like, Ooh, wow, I'm reacting. I was emailing this morning some uh, about our warranty on our house. And the woman was just very much, I was allowing her emails to frustrate me. And I felt mm-hmm. my heart rate go up and I felt myself wanting to punch the computer. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, wow. Wow. Look at how much I'm allowing these other, this other person's word to impact my entire like well-being, my physiological state. Okay, let me catch it and take a breath. And I think that's where meditation has really helped me because I I I feel and I'd be curious how you feel about this. Personal development, awareness is just a piece of it. It's a, it's a good piece and it's a big piece. But being aware of psychology, being aware of mindfulness, knowing intellectually that it's important to stop and redirect and slow down. It only goes so far. We have to have practices in place that help integrate these things into our unconscious in so many ways. And I don't think even with understanding mindfulness and understanding that I have a choice in terms of react or respond, I, I feel meditation has sharpened that tool for me and given me the the experiential awareness of how to recognize that inside of me. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. That's that's a crucial, I think, uh, thing that comes from meditating. Yeah, for sure. It gives you the, what I kind of, I, I call in the book, once again, the, uh, the mindfulness gap. It, mm. That space whenever you're, you know, looking out of the point of view of your eyes, you're experiencing the world and normally, you know, where there's something that would occur that you would, you know, respond to or rather react to negatively or or just jump to some type of uh, thing in life, you have that mindfulness gap where you become aware, as you've pointed out, what's arising in your mind, what thought you're having, what you're feeling. And then you have that moment where you can choose like, well, is this going to you know, create some suffering and, and make things unnecessarily negative and hurtful for everyone involved? Is this a quote unquote negative thought? Well, if it is, that's your moment to just let it go and release it into the mindfulness gap, you know, and then think, okay, well, what could I do in this moment that is more constructive and leans further into compassion and, you know, equanimity as opposed to something that's destructive? Mm-hmm. And that that is such a crazily beneficial skill for anyone to have in their life. And, and I really love what also what you pointed out about, um, you know, as far as the, the email you were involved with earlier, that's so useful is recognizing what's happening. Like, okay, I'm getting mad here. And then like kind of finding the humor in it, the absurdity in it, mm-hmm. seeing it. All right. This is just this, you know, this little loop I got caught in. Let me step out of that and kind of change the the script a little bit. And that is just like from, you know, mindfulness and meditation are, are incredibly valuable in cutting down that time that you're holding on to that anger or that you're kind of your head's underwater or as like Thich Nhat Hanh calls it, you're, you're, uh, you're living dead instead of living alive, you know, where you're, you, it's so easy to get embroiled in the drama yeah. of that, of anger, because ultimately, you know, if you look at it, uh, not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but like, you know, our, our amygdala is reacting, you know, in our brain mm-hmm. is reacting to a situation and, and getting us turning into this kind of protective fight or flight type of vibe. And, and that fires up our adrenaline. And then we start getting all, all tweaked out. And our ego doesn't really care if we're happy or sad. It just wants us to stay self-focused so that we can remember mm-hmm. to procreate, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, all right, well, this will keep this, my, my human hotel, our, D, our, G, our DNA is like kind of like a, it looks at us as like a, a hotel, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, well, I'll be in this body for 60 years. And as long as, you know, I can pass on, I'm good. So it's like, this will keep my host really self-focused and embroiled in their own story for the next yeah. 30 minutes or whatever. And just kind of recognizing what's going on and then being able to cut that time we're holding down the anger or the frustration or whatever from a week or whatever it could be to a couple of days to an hour to a minute to a few seconds. You know, that, that's such a think about how different your life is. Yeah, you know, so true. I love what you said about the ego doesn't care if you're happy or sad. It just wants your attention. It just wants you to be self-focused. That's such an important point because that's where, because the ego is so wired for survival 
So we get to choose how we want to feed it. We can either feed it junk food or we can feed it, you know, broccoli sprouts and all those kinds of wonderful things. Mm -hmm. I want to shift directions a little bit and and go a little bit more into your life because you, you know, I read your bio. You're an author and meditation teacher, engineer, composer. You love talking about the metaphysical world. Before we started recording, you talked about how you have this other podcast where you read these surreal stories and a voice that's even sultrier than the one that we hear now, <laughs> which is great. And you have this album that you said it was weird. So I want to know, what was it like growing up for you? Uh, well, I was in a an interesting environment. My your parents separated when I was very young and my dad was a, I kind of call him like a, a kind of a Texan, Texas Z Quentin Tarantino character from, if also mm-hmm. from Dallas, like you. So you, you must know this archetype very well. So, um, like the good old boy Texas kind of banker, like oh yeah, heavy set, you know Dallas. Oh yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> I probably don't need to. Maybe for the rest of the audience, mm-hmm. maybe illuminate or illustrate that a little bit further. But just very much like whenever you think of just the almost cartoonish caricature of like a, a businessman, like where you're you're fun and your whole intention is like kind of screwing over other people and laughing about it and you know, getting yours and all of the, you know, all of that whole type of mindset, which is very, it seems like that has, in my perception anyway, has really aged out of our culture to a decent degree. You know, mm-hmm. I think in the, in the 70s and eight, of course, before that, but in the 70s and 80s, it was like peaking and cresting. And then in the 90s, that sort of, that mindset kind of became, less common and then now there's been some over the last 10 years or so there's been much more of i think a cultural self-awareness that has arisen and so that type of behavior is actually really just not acceptable anymore (laughs) thank god yeah (laughs) but alas that is you know that was my dad's script and uh you know uh there's uh, you know he I always sat with his back to the wall in restaurants so he could mm. watch the front door. He mm-hmm. uh, always carried a gun on him, you know, everywhere he went. He in Texas, you can. Yes, that's mm-hmm. right. Not that he would care. Any, anyways, um, you know, he the people at his funeral, you know, came up and were laughing at me or laughing when they were shaking my hand because they were like happy that he wasn't around anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Uh, so that was, you know, that character. Um, and so, you know, having kind of that type of influence was one thing, but it really just showed me. And also, I mean, he was hilarious too. I mean, that's another big part of it. Um, but like that showed me a lot of just, I think instinctively as a kid, a lot of stuff that, uh, I, I didn't want, I just like instinctively kind of knew because he told me one time, like, it always, this will always stick with me. He was like, I, I'm always, you know, have a gun or whatever, because I never know who's going to walk around the corner when I'm walking around, like in downtown Dallas and I want to be prepared. And I remember thinking, even as a kid, like, why wouldn't you want the inverse of that? Why wouldn't you want to be kind and to have like good friends? So you're excited to see who you might run into around the corner as opposed to, you know, being scared and fearful. Um, and, you know, things like that stuck with me. My, you know, as far as, you know, living with my mom, there, there's just a lot of emotional issues um, and ne- negative kind of environment in that regard, like dealing with a lot of gaslighting and mm. emotional manipulation and things like that, which all of like that led to that, you know, in combination with a lot of other things led to extreme anxiety on my, sure. point, on my part. And I'm, um, I'm sure feeling a little bit like the black sheep too, and a little al- alone in your life. Did you feel? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, totally felt al- alone. Unfortunately, my brother, you know, and I were very much on the same kind of mental wavelength. Oh, good. Um, and we used, you know, we st- even to this day, you know, still help each other in, in that regard. Like, hey, just checking in to like let you know what the current vibe is, you know, like with, with, uh, with that. And so anyway, you know, it led to a lot of, as I said, you know, a lot of calcification, you know, of the outside of building up these walls of 
um, extreme anxiety, feeling very out out of place and out of sync with the rest of the world. And, um, and that's really ultimately how I found my way to the life I'm living today. Because Mm -hmm. whenever I was a a teenager, I randomly heard someone say, uh, the, the name of Nietzsche, they were talking about philosophers, just Mm -hmm. totally random. No one in my family read like no one read, no one. Yeah. I don't, even... I don't see your dad picking up like a Hafiz book or anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hardly. Uh, hardly. Yeah. No one in my family read, they, yeah, he read legal documents, I'm sure. Um, but you know, they, they had no like Eastern thought or even Western philosophical thought literally was not in my entire bloodline. <laughs> you know, no one, <laughs> no one was ever interested. Uh, and and so I heard that name and I remember being in a bookstore totally randomly uh, as a teenager and I saw the name Nishi on the back of a book and I thought, oh, there's that name. And I went over and I picked it up and I pulled it out and I just opened it and I remember reading it and it was really the first time that I thought, oh, wow, this is not what I think per se, but it's how I think. This mm-hmm. is like the conceptual way that my mind works and I get obsessed with Western philosophy and then eventually got obsessed with Eastern philosophy after that. And I had the kind of complete picture of like, wow, this is not only what I think or how I think, but this is also what I think as well. Mm. And, you know, for anyone listening that, you know, I was in the zone where I couldn't even talk about the fact that I was meditating because it would have been criticized. It would have been seen as a threat. It would have been seen as probably, you know, sacrilegious in some way. Um, just basically it's an un in, in a destructive emotional environment. It's it something like that. A practice that one is using to separate and individuate themselves from the person from whom you are dependent, uh, really necessary for them to be able to lay and involve you within their, the story of their suffering. Yeah. Anything that might undo that or disconnect you from that is a threat. Yeah. And so um, I had to, you know, hide that. And I was also, you know, taking psychedelics a bunch at the time too. Um, <laughs> when but, you were uh, young. Yes, yes. When you, you, when you were so, one of the reasons I'm asking this is because so much of the the coaching episodes that we do on the show, which are basically like therapy episodes, we talk about how our childhood really impacts our adult. And pretty mm. much every problem, obstacle, question someone has, I can trace back to something in their childhood, usually, not every time, but usually, because we're pretty much formed by seven, eight and fully formed by 12. So we're resourcing a lot of our experience from that place until we evolve and aren't just reacting from our past, but are actually creating from our future. We're shifting into a different frequency. And so, you know, in, in, you're definitely someone that I wouldn't put in a box, very creative, um, very entrepreneurial, very curious. And, you know, when you said you grew up in Texas too, I was, I, I had a feeling that you probably weren't born into a family that had meditation cushions all around the room and really were cultivating (laughs) you being a musician and everything. And so many of, um, my listeners can relate to feeling just so out of place in their family and so Mm -hmm. misunderstood. And what I think is so inspiring about you, Corey, is that you you found a way to not let that, I, I hear that it created anxiety and, and we'll circle back to that, but you found something that you could find yourself in, if that makes sense. Absolutely. You, you found a way to feel expressed, to feel understood, to feel like, oh, this book gets me. Like I, 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 I relate to this. And so what I'm just wondering if you have any advice for people who can relate to feeling just so misunderstood in the world, how -hmm. do they find their, their passion and their way into not trying to make one thing I say to people a lot is don't go to a Chinese restaurant when you want nachos because mm-hmm. you're just not going to get them. And I, I find that a lot of us continue to try to go back to certain people in our life to make them understand us when they just can't. So how did you come to terms with your parents just really not getting you? I, mean, I don't know if they turned it around, but at the time, and what wisdom would you have for somebody that can relate to that? Yeah, that's a great question. So 
First off, I would say above all, recognizing that your mind is yours is mm. crucial. Ooh, that's a mic drop. Recognize <laughs> that your mind is yours. That's yes. huge. We give so much power to other people to plant seeds in our mind. That's right. That's right. And, you know, getting kind of picking up where I left off was first discovering meditation and kind of doing it hiding in my bedroom. I had this, what I, I call the Viktor Frankl moment, you know, of course, mm -hmm. it was, that's, that's much, much more extreme, but I had this recognition of like, oh, wait, wait a second, my inner life, like this is mine. So no matter like what's going on outside of your body, what the environment is like, like who, whoever you're around in your life system, because, you know, we don't get to pick our life systems where we are put into this structure as far as our lives. And in a big part of it, we're not able to escape from unless we want to make really tough decisions, you know? And so just recognizing no matter where you're at, or who you are, that your inner life, the way that you think, what you do with your mind for yourself is yours. You're completely free and no one can change or do anything to influence your mind if you don't want them to. And you are able to change mm. yourself, the core of who you are, simply by choosing and being dedicated to doing so. And this is what I realized, you know, myself was as I began meditating, you know, I was such a, you know, narcissistic, like acidic type of, uh, aggressive, like intellectually aggressive, uh, teenager. Really? Of course it was, I, oh mm -hmm. yes. Oh yes. It was, is well, it was probably all the Nietzsche I read, but it was also, <laughs> how did that um, show up? Like, give me an example of how, oh, just like always cutting down people like through mm. the back door of their subconscious to show them that. Oh, intellectual warfare. Than, warfare yes, huh? yeah. yes, okay. yes. <laughs> like constantly and like just deconstructing everything mm. in the entire world to like it's you know to make it just completely diffused and disarmed from a level of condescension and also humor at the same time but um it's you know it's it's like it's that thing of like whenever a dog is barking at you they're not doing it because they're being aggressive they're doing it it's actually an act of defense they're barking because they're scared and they want you to stay back not because they want to come attack you you know mm. it's that type of thing um but i you know as i begin you know practicing meditation, I began seeing over time and I was really doing it at first because I was like, my skin feels like it's on fire 24 seven mm. and my stomach has been in a knot for the last 10 years. Mm. <laughs> like I would like this to let go a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I was like figuring out how to relax my body at first and like, just say, okay, I feel some kind of cool water rushing in now. And then the more I did that, the more I began to see that the way I saw the world was slowly starting to shift. And I started recognizing, like, wait a second, I don't feel like, like I used to describe it as having uh, like an angry beehive inside my body all the time. I remember thinking, I, I don't feel like that as much anymore. And, mm. and, you know, another few weeks ago by, and then back, you know, I, I think I, I feel like I'm like a kind of a different person you know, even now. And I recognize that by choosing and, you know, taking this ownership of your inner life and deciding to make those developments for yourself, you can actually, you know, create and become the author of who you can be into the future simply by doing, by doing so. And if you watch, you can see the changes. You know, one of the things I put in the book is like an example to to point this out is think about who you are now and then think about what you were like 15 years ago mm. <laughs> as, just as a general as a person to think about how much difference there is between you know even physically intellectually emotionally all these things um and then just look at that where you are now and use the same amount of contrast that you did in the past to look forward 15 years. Think about how different you could be in 15 years from who you are today in mm. relation to you know, how you were in the past. And so you can you know stretch that. I use that, a large timetable so it has a larger impact. But if you think like, I want to, you know, I wish I could be X, Y, and Z or do this in my life, you can. You just have to choose and be dedicated and take one step a day and you can walk into that future, right? So um, that's that's number one. Um, number two, and I'll, I, these are long-winded, I apologize. No, I love it. I love it. Okay. Um, number two is, I would say, you know, number one is your mind is yours and you can be and take ownership of that and be whoever you want and make the change that you want. 
we're adaptable creatures, right? And so number two is that not feeling in sync because I spent like most of my life feeling like a total outsider. You know, yeah. I feel like an outsider in my family, uh, at school, uh, just in the, you know, society, just everything. And uh, while it's, it, I don't know, it created, it creates individuality in an interesting way. It's not exactly enjoyable. No, it feels, a lot of times, yeah, it feel right? very lonely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, very lonely. Yes. And so um, uh, what I realized kind of as I grew older was that the thing that we all have this, this, this idea, this story in our minds that like, I need to be more like this person. You know, we compare mm -hmm. ourselves to celebrities or to rock stars or to artists or writers or whoever it is that you fancy. And you say, ah, oh, God, I wish I could be that person so cool or so successful. I wish, or so attractive or whatever. I wish I could be more like them. I'm going to try and sh change myself to be more like that. And then people will like me, you know? Right. But the issue is, is that like, Everyone, and this is, this gets a little complex, but like everyone in the world sees everything differently, right? Yep. We all see each other differently. And so you seeing these people and identifying them as cool, right? Like that's all in your imagination. Like, you know, other millions of other people look at the same person and think, well, I don't like that person. That person sucks. But while other people are going, oh, that person's so cool. It's I so wish true. I could be yeah. like that person. <laughs> but what's crazy is that we're all doing that about each other all the time. Yeah. So if everyone is like guessing about everyone else's guesses, then what is what are we actually doing here? And so if you step back for a second and you think like, all right, who are people like that are really cool and these uniquely individualistic people that I can think of. For example, like to me, you know, the first person that comes to mind is someone like Anthony Bourdain or someone like people treat Bill Murray like that, you know, or something like that, where there's this, these kind of cultural anomalies, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like, well, why does everyone seem to think that those people are so awesome? Well, it's not because of what they're doing. It's because of what they're not doing. They're not trying to be like anyone else. They're not trying to imitate anyone. They're literally just like allowing themselves to be the fullness of what they are to come through and be who they are. And so by not doing, by not trying to act and kind of change yourself to be like what you think other people want, you allow yourself to come through. And that is truly mm. what people like and what resonates with people. Mm -hmm. it, it's so true. People love authenticity, <laughs> yes, but people are yes. so afraid to be authentic because it's like, no, wait, if I'm not wearing this mask and doing what I think you need me to do, then maybe you don't like me. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah in, in that, I think that like, that's an interesting point of vulnerability that you pointed out because yeah, people I think are often scared about putting themselves out there, but Again, once again, it's not one of those like light switch things. The the comfort in b being who you are uh, amongst everyone else is something that's nurtured and grown, right? So you slowly start like allowing you know those parts of yourself to come out into the world, kind of from behind the protective wall. And the more that you do that, the more comfort you can get. You see people you know respond to it positively, and then you slowly, slowly can can grow that. And what's interesting is I truly, even in my own experience, I find that, that that process really snowballs. You know, once you start doing it a little bit and you get a little bit more comfortable with letting yourself out there and a little bit more, really catches up this interesting, this steam where then you it really gets supported by everyone in your life system mm -hmm. and you get a lot of so much great feedback that then you're encouraged to be more you. And that's how you get people, you know, some some really extraordinary people is by people that recognize that, you know, feel the encouragement and then really let themselves come through. And once again, I'm sorry for these long winded things here, but, um, uh, just to tie that off, put a little bow on that. Yeah. One of the great, um, uh, corollaries to what I was just talking about. And one of my favorite, uh, concepts is by DK Suzuki, who is a Zen writer. And he talks about the notion of enlightenment as, um, as letting the fullness of what you are come through, that that's what, you know, he, he how he describes enlightenment. Mm. And that's like letting all of the stuff of like whatever's arising in your mind and not impulses, but your, your true nature and your instinct and 
your intuition and that voice in the back of your head that's telling you like, oh, you should, you know, this is, this is the way essentially, like letting that come through and be nurtured and going out into the world without putting it through the intellectual hall of mirrors that's got fear and negative self-talk and comparison, all that stuff, or putting it through the emotional ringer of like, oh, well, maybe uh, I hate myself. And mm -hmm. so I, sh I, I should, this is dumb, you know, but really just allowing it to come through and, you know, uh, let all of what you are come out and unify instead of creating these different barriers in different parts of your life, you know? Yeah. How did you, or did you, um, forgive your parents come to peace? with them? Yeah, that's a juicy one. Um, well, my dad, you know, he died kind of out of nowhere whenever I was 20. And so that was 18 years ago. Um, and so we, he was just around that time kind of starting to, um, I think he was just like at the very beginning of getting these glimpses of what was up and kind of like what he had done wrong, you know, and um, how, how he started softening, like just ever so slightly. And I started being more open with him, you know, at the time where I was like 19 and I was telling him about some more, cause I got obsessed with like, uh, psychology and neuroscience and you know, consciousness mm -hmm. and all that stuff with that, you know, and uh, before that. And so it's kind of was started talking about some things like that to him. And he was like, wow, I can't believe that, like, I never thought about that before. That's crazy. So I kind of just got like a, a toe in that part of my true self, you know, with him there before he, he died. But what's interesting is that like people say, and I had a million people tell me this after he did, after he did die, they say like, you won't even be able to pro understand it for five years and you won't be able to accept it for 10 years. I remember thinking that's stupid, you know, <laughs> like I'll, like, uh, I'll, it's not, that doesn't make any sense, you know? And it's, it might, it's really true. I, I mm -hmm, mean, like, mm -hmm. it took, uh, you know, years for me to really process that experience and really just that loss of the possibility for what you were talking about, you know, that, that finally building a strong relationship and, you know, having those conversations and getting a good, uh, mature adult bond. It's like, well, that, that can never happen, you know? Uh, and I think that was, I could, didn't have the language. I didn't really understand that that was what was upsetting, but I, at, at the time that was definitely, yeah. uh, very hurtful. But what's interesting is that over the span of, you know, ten, the 10 years or, or even more, you know, since that happened, uh, I just in my own mind and, and a lot during meditations and stuff, uh, was, was kind of processing those feelings and those ideas and thoughts about the relationship and was able to forgive mm. uh, authentically just on you know my own mm -hmm. because, and really feel like a peace and understanding with the circumstances and, you know, like Sam Harris says, you, you can't like, why would you be mad at a tornado? You know, it's like, it's creating all this destruction, but it's like kind of just causally formed by nature and it just is what it is. So you can hold on to a bunch of anger at the, at the, the, the force of nature that is causing destruction, or you can kind of build the boundary, the, the proper healthy boundary, recognize it and then release what you're holding. Cause it's only kind of burning you, which yeah. is like a Dalai, yeah. Dalai Lama thing. So I was able to find that piece, you know, uh, fortunately with that relationship and, uh, the other, you know, the other one is always in a state of flux mm -hmm. still, you know, but it's, um, I think that it's, you know, if anyone has, um, I, I think attachment theory is really useful yeah, for people, you know, Bowlby's attachment theory is very useful for people that, um, have issues with their parents and, because just for, do you talk about that on your show at all? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I won't we'll go over it, but you know, having that destructive attachment where you're like, okay, home, there's not unconditional love at home. And there's obviously there's not unconditional love in the world. So you're stuck in between not being able to trust either one. And then you've, you know, people go most of their lives allowing others to kind of co-regulate their emotional state. It's like, Oh, if this person in the room with is happy, then I'm happy. If this yeah, person yeah, in the room yeah. with, I'm with is angry, then I'm angry, you know? Um, but recognizing, you know, if you have that relationship with one of your parents, that that's, um, what's going on. And that the crucial thing is to, to 
build those boundaries, you mm. know, to make, to not allow yourself to be, you know, people get, I think uh, people get, um, it's not a bad, you know, it's not, uh, there's no fault in it, but people have the misapprehension that compassion means that you should kind of overextend yourself and be a doormat for people who are struggling in your life whenever that's not true at all. You know, compassion is an intention. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a reflex. It's a way of seeing and, op- and operating in the world. Um, and a part of that is having compassion for yourself. And it's, a, you know, that it comes down to you know, self-compassion and self-respect. Whenever you have a parental figure that is being a destructive force and trying to ha- help you facilitate their own traumas by, you know, acting them out on you for your entire life. Yep. Um, by learning how to build those proper boundaries and really put it out there, you know, of like, hey, we can't have a relationship or we can't talk if you don't, you know, do X, Y, and Z. Talk like an adult if you don't have respect, if we can't, you know, quote unquote, hold space or whatever and just have a reasonable discussion. Like, it's just not, it's not okay. Yeah. And it's not happening. Yeah. And that's a really important thing that I think, you know, people beat themselves up about it because they feel like, well, it's my parent. I should... I should be, you know, like I should get be endlessly giving and and uh, just like take on whatever it is. Uh-uh. <laughs> um, but yeah, but that's but it's it's not true. You know, yeah. it's not true. It's uh, yeah, yeah. But we talk a lot about boundaries. That's that's my biggest teaching about boundaries is you can't wait for people to like them before you set them. Like most mm-hmm. of the time, when you set a boundary with people, they're not like, oh, okay, that's so healthy. I'll do that. It's, it's, it's enforcing the boundaries. That's, that's really important. So thank you so much for being willing to share so much of your personal life with us. I think a lot of people can relate. So I appreciate your, your authenticity. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. So let's talk about your book that came out about a year ago, September of 2019 and your online meditation course. Will you tell us about both of those? Sure. So the book is, uh, it covers a lot of what we've talked about now, but ultimately it is a modern approach to mindfulness in the sense that, you know, we have evolved uh, alongside technology. You know, the world has changed so much, even in the last year, you know, much less the last five or 10 years that while, you know, if you think about a lot of the really useful books on mindfulness or meditation out there, the quote unquote classics are 50 years old, you know, 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Think about something like Be Here Now, it was released in the 70s, which is amazingly 50 years ago. You know, even like The Power of Now, which I haven't read, oddly enough, was came out in the 90s. And so a lot of these big, you know, all of Thich Nhat Hanh's books came out, you know, most of them in the 90s and early 2000s. So all of these, you know, the, the way that the world has changed since then and the perspectives in which you can see the world uh, they've all just rapidly changed. And because the world has changed, because the way that we relate to each other and ourselves, given the you know, technology and just that diversification and changing of our culture, uh, and really the kind of geo you know, global kind of melding of everything, it's, it has brought a, a rise to a lot of new types of problems. Mm. And so the, the kind of the classics don't address what it's like to live in the modern world and how can we apply the techniques and new perspectives of mindfulness onto the problems that we're all facing today. Mm-hmm. Um, we so, faced a lot of them lately, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so it's, um, yeah, it's, it's all about how to essentially, uh, you know, raise your awareness to, to live a more present life, mm-hmm. to uh, let the fullness of you know who you are come out, as I described earlier. And I really wanted to make it almost like a, like a business book in some ways, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, um, I, I lay it out very, you know, simply and directly. And I, I really believe in the power, you know, you, uh, in juxtaposition to my, my speech, I believe in the power of profound simplicity. <laughs> uh, and so just long, just, I, just long winded simplicity. That's all. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, yeah, you're not long winded. You just called yourself that. So I'm just poking um, fun at you. <laughs> and so, um, it's, you know, I think that I take it really seriously in talking about these things in writing because there is so much kind of metaphysical nonsense and mushiness and and just fluff mm-hmm. in this space that I am very interested in precision and clarity and real 
actionable type of ideas and thoughts that people can really use as opposed to just like having a nice fluffy meme idea that you can think on for a minute and feel good right. about yourself, but then you forget about it two minutes later, something that really resonates and that you can really use. And so the whole thing is, is laid out. Like I describe what the present moment is. I describe mm. how we get pulled away from it. I describe how to get back. And then I lay out this whole, you know, the second half of the book is how, how do you deploy all this in your life? How can you use these different tools and methods and techniques to, bring more presence and more awareness in your life and to ultimately make you a more, you know, a happier and more fulfilled and uh, aware person and really able to experience the indulgence of the, you know, the moment that's all around us at mm, all times. Mm, the indulgence of the moment. I love that. I love that. So people can buy that book, I'm sure at Amazon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they can go connect with you at CoreyAllen.com. And then you also have a podcast called The Astral Hustle, which right. has some really, really cool interviews and conversations. Where else can people connect with you, Corey? Yeah, really. Uh, I think that is a good place. Corey-Allen.com is my website, the podcast. You know, there's uh, uh, 250 episodes or something like that on there. They, uh, all social media is Hey Corey Allen on all platforms. Uh, my music's on Spotify. I mm. got uh, my meditation course is on my site. Uh, I bet your guided uh, oh. meditations are epic. I'm going to have to dive. Oh, into yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I love, yes. yeah, it's people really like awesome. Them. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. People, people enjoy them. So uh, yeah, I'm, you know, just out there. I'm out there. You're out there in, in, yeah. in a lot of awesome ways. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for sharing your personal story with us as well. Thank you for being a beautiful example of following your dharma and listening to your heart and not allowing other people to hijack your mind, but to really um, empower ourselves with, uh, with our mind. Because I think our minds and our hearts need to work together more and more and more. We can't just be all in the mind and we can't just be mm -hmm. all in the heart, right? It's finding that, that beautiful dance between the two. So thank you so much for the work that you do in the world. Everybody go, go connect with Corey, listen to his podcast, grab his book, take his meditation course or all three. Thanks so much. Thank you. <laughs>